trust the Lord. That's what this psalm calls us to do. And that's what I believe we need to do as a church as we're um, looking at some significant changes coming down the pipe for us as a church family. It's going to be challenging. That's just reality. It's been challenging so far. It's probably going to get harder in different ways. And so we're going to need to trust the Lord. This is what God wants from us. Okay, if you're wondering, what can I do today to please the Lord? Trust him. Just trust him. That's the beginning of it all. And the same answer will be true tomorrow. And the same answer will be true the next day. And when you're feeling great, what does God want you to do? He wants you to really trust him. And when you're feeling super low and depressed, what does he want you to do? He wants you to do what you can to lift up your eyes to Jesus and trust him. And everywhere in between, when you're panicked and anxious, um, if all you can say is just to help Jesus, he wants you to trust him. This is God's biggest desire. So much so that God is willing and able and desiring. Trust is so important to him that when we look to him and trust, he's ready to give us eternal life. When we look to Jesus and believe in him and trust him, he wants to, he loves it so much, he wants to live with us forever. So I'm going to read all of Psalm 115 and then we're going to walk through it chunk by chunk. These are the words of God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all that trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So, Psalms are wonderful. They're inspired by God, but they kind of come out of the mouths of people, often towards God. And so the psalmist is sometimes talking to God and sometimes talking to people. And what often I find the Psalms are doing is it's the Holy Spirit climbing into a human heart, having a real experience of life, good, bad, and ugly. And then he comes out of that heart in a way that teaches us how we can speak to God and to one another as well. And so this is what's going on here. The psalmist is writing by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing an encouragement and a call for the people of God to not put their trust into false gods, but to really put their trust in the living God. That's the big idea. 
And so he starts off in first, verse 1 with this call on God. He's addressing the Lord and he says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And so here he is coming. He's, he's starting off with a heart posture that's not about himself and not about us. If you want to not be an idolater, if you don't want to be an idolater, the best way to do that is to start off with God being the most important thing. God, whatever you do, make sure it's great for you. God, whatever you do, help this not to be about me, but let it be about your glory. Let it be about your name because you're so faithful and you're so steadfast in your love. But then he comes to a question, and I'm not sure, but I think that something has happened that is bugging the psalmist. Something's gotten under his skin, and he perceives that the nations around Israel, so the unbelieving nations, when he says nations, he doesn't just mean people from other countries. He means the unbelieving nations are looking at Israel, and they're saying, where's their God? Do you guys even have a God? And you can kind of tell why he thinks they're asking that, because Israel um, has did not have an idol in the middle of their temple. If you remember from the Old Testament times, um, God, God is very clear. He's like, I'm not a creature. I'm not a human being. I'm a spirit. I'm the creator of the universe. And so there isn't anything that I've made that is worthy of, of pointing to and saying, God is like a bull. We should worship the bull. Or God is like a goat. We should worship a goat. Or God is like a great big fish. We should worship, worship a fish. He says, I'm, I made everything and I'm invisible, so don't make an idol of me. And that's like the first two of the Ten Commandments right there. But the nations all think that if you have a God, he needs to have a street address and an idol somewhere that you go, and then you tell that God how great he is, and you offer that idol something special, and then the God, that idol knows you worshipped it, and you know you worshipped that idol, and there you go. And so the nations are kind of looking at Israel going, you don't have any idols? Where is your God? And the implication being, you don't have a real God. If you had a real God, it would have a gold statue somewhere. So you guys are lame. You guys are dumb. You guys don't have a real God. You guys are playing mosquito hockey, and we're in the NHL. I don't even know if it's called mosquito or midget or whatever M word it is to mean little. Where's your God again? You can go in your temple, there's nothing in there. And so the psalmist responds with uh, the scriptural version of a smackdown or a burn or whatever, whatever you want to call it. He says, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. That's the difference. When, when you've got an idol, you know where it is. It's locked up in that building you're not allowed to get into, collecting dust. Our God is in heaven. You know where the world is controlled? You know where the decisions that determine how human history is happening? You know where the angels come down from and destroy armies if they want to, or raise people or whatever? You know where the power is? That's where our God is. He's not stuck as some idol in, in your basement or in some dark room. He, he's the invisible God of the universe, and he is in heaven right now. And you want to know what he's like? He does all that he wants to. 
And this is the big difference that, that the scripture is trying to hit us with. The difference between God and everybody else is that God is a doer. God is able. God does what he wants. His arm is not so short that it's cut off. He can do anything he wants to. He takes the im off of impossible whenever he wants to. He is the God that dwells in heaven. He does all that he pleases. And so I'm saying that this psalm is about trust. And I think that this psalm, though written a long time ago for Israel directly, is for the people of God of all time. And the psalmist wants today to say to you, trust in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his Father who sent him and in the Holy Spirit who he sent. Trust in the Lord. And the first thing that the scriptures want us to know about the Lord is that he is different than everybody else because he is a doer. And he's able to do whatever he wants. And then the scriptures make fun of idols for a little bit. And we've got we to gotta use our imaginations a little bit here, because if you went to any of the powerhouse nations in the old times, when Babylon ruled the world, or when Persia did, or when Rome did, or when any of the Greek cities were into their big things, their biggest and best buildings always had an idol in it somewhere, which were their biggest and best works of art, whether it's a gigantic marble statue, or these gigantic golden statues, or silver statues. This is just how they did it. The best building was a temple, and inside that temple was this humongous statue made out of the best stuff they have. And this is them. Their, their entire societies were built around some kind of idol, which was the best of the best of the best. And this was the best thing that we have. And our families worship it, and our nations worship it, and I worship it, and everything's about this thing. And then the scriptures come along and they say, you know what the reality is? Uh, your idol isn't much better than a doorstop. Your idol is a, is a really expensive dust collector. And this is the thing, I, I could, even the first service, I just, and it's still there, like, they, they, collect, they called things that collect dust their God. It's like, come, come see our great God. Oh, oh my goodness, a bird was on his shoulder. Let me just get that poop right off there. It's a bird. And this whole dust, just, somebody just get the vacuum on there. Sorry, Bale, just got to vacuum up your nose. You're collecting dust. Like, it's a little, it's absurd, right? If you stop and think, that something that collects dust would be treated as a god. And all, we all did it. And I, we could say they, but it, it, we would have probably been the same, right? We, we all do it. Something that collects dust. They worshipped. And the psalmist is saying, our God is in heaven. He can do. He doesn't collect dust. He does not collect dust. He's too busy. Even if he has a body, he's out running around, ruling the world. He does not just sit there, collect dust. He's a doer. He does. And so the psalmist starts making fun of the idols. He says, their, goal, their idols are silver and gold. So it's off to a good start. The work of human hands. That doesn't sound right. They have mouths, but don't speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but don't hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Every single human being who hears this psalm it ha has more capabilities than any idol. Because you can hear, and you can speak, and you can move, and they can't. 
Ridiculous. That's the idea. Absurd. That's the idea. A craftsman who can hear and think and speak and move and whittle has more capabilities than these things that they call gods. Amazing. How do we get to that place where we, we call things that aren't God, God? Verse 8, and this is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And this is this key word of trust. It's a spiritual reality. When we put our trust in something that is not the living God, we deteriorate, we degrade, we become foolish, and we think it's wise to call a shiny doorstop a god. Nobody who worships an idol thinks that they're being dumb. They think that they're being smart. How does it get to a place where somebody makes a statue and then says, you're greater than me? It's because their minds are degraded to think things they shouldn't think. Their hearts are degraded to feel things they shouldn't feel. And, and it all starts with trust. Who, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? The Apostle Paul picks up this same truth in Romans chapter 1, where he talks about how um, the living God, the true God, has revealed himself through everything he's made, so that no one can say, I, I didn't know that there was a God. It's just, uh, look outside and then look in the mirror. That's the response. When somebody says, there can't be a God, it's just, number one, look outside, and then number two, look in the mirror. Do you really, really, really think that one day there was a puddle of primordial goo and then a lightning bolt and then you? Do you really think that anything about the universe points towards that happening? And then all of a sudden, we're like out here doing art and sports, and we care about things like justice. What does justice have to do with survival of the fittest, even if it did start like that? Like, when's the last time you saw a bunch of monkeys getting together saying, I don't know who we should believe, monkey A or monkey B? Monkey B sounds really, really sincere when he says that monkey A stole his banana, but monkey A doesn't even like bananas, and how are we going to figure this one out? We need an investigation. Okay, let's get the FBI monkeys out there, and they're going to get their little lab, and they're going to do a little test, and the, oh, there's copper in the soil, and they're going to figure... It is, it is actually irrational to think that human beings are an accident. We're so unnatural compared to every other creature. And so the scripture says that you, it's evident that human beings have become widespread idolaters, worshiping something created instead of the creator by how we behave. When somebody's not acting like God, you don't have to wonder if they're worshiping something besides God. It's what happens. It starts off with who do you trust, and then from out of who do you trust comes how you behave. But this is the reality here, and this is why the psalmist is like, you need to trust the Lord. You need to trust the living God, because if you don't, it will come out in terrible ways. Who are you trusting? Who am I trusting? This is the big question every morning and every night. Who who am I going to trust? And the call is, trust the Lord. 
Because if you won't trust him, you'll try to trust something else. And we can kind of, as, as Canadians, we can think, I'm ahead of the game here because I've never worshipped an idol. We don't tend to have idols like they did in the ancient times where it's like actual statue of a human being that we worship as God. We do make statues of people, but we usually put them someplace nobody goes and then forgets about who they are to start off with. We're not successful statue makers in Canada, generally. Um, And so we can think we're ahead of the game. We don't do idolatry. But the reality is we still do. We just worship something else. And what we tend to worship in Canada is we tend to worship people. We tend to put people in the place of God. We tend to put people in that place of ultimate importance. We tend to put people in the place of, I am going to trust this person or these people with our life. And sometimes it comes out in adherence to the government. You know, something's gone wrong. Government! I'm hurting. Government! I feel stressed. Government! Save me, government! Come on, come, come, government! Come on, come on. We do that. Sometimes you can see the, the, the human heart questing for gods in people just in how we uh, elevate celebrities, whether it's sports stars or political stars or acting stars. Um, like, I, I'm, I'm happy with sports. If you love sports, that's great. But nobody should get paid $30 million to play baseball for one year. Right? And, and that's fine. I, I don't begrudge the, uh, that they're, they're getting paid. It's just like, there's no way it's that important. Except that we need to worship something. And if you get enough people who think that hitting a ball with a bat is the most important thing in the world, you're willing to shell out so that they can get paid that much. Right? So it's on us. And bless sports. I'm happy with sports. It's, it's way better than being out in the streets killing people. And some good character comes out of the people who learn to do it well. That's fine. So don't hear me complain about the sports. I'm talking about us. Okay, so somebody stars in a movie, and it's a great movie, and they played a really great character, and now I really want them to tell me how to live. Because Iron Man had a super suit. Is that suit? It's so super. It's a super suit. I don't care if it's all just made up by computers and it doesn't actually exist anywhere. And in reality, that guy just was walking around in a green room with a black suit on him with little dots so they knew where to put the things from the computer. I don't care if it's all computer. Lie to me. Just lie to me. Just lie to me. Make me feel like there's somebody important out there who will do something good for an hour and a half while I eat $25 popcorn. Just lie to me because I want to worship somebody. Right? Anybody? Nobody? And then in the political world, like we have this expectation that the next election will solve the problems. That that next part, it will, it will be fine. And you will get all that you want, everything you want, every relationship you want, every, every happiness you want. That next, in 2019, we will elect the person who will finally levitate Canada, which is the best country, out of being so high up in the northern hemisphere and take it over to Hawaii and just plunk us down so that we can have the best country with nice weather for once. Right? And they will do it because I voted for it. Me, myself, and I, all three of us voted. Right? And we're in this weird time in history where it turns out like every 10 minutes, somebody else who we all thought was worthy of worship 
they, arrest, they, they committed some crime, they've abused somebody, they've stolen something, they were lying about Every 10 minutes, some famous person is just falling off of the pedestal. Every 10 minutes, like every, like Monday morning, we'll wake up and we'll find some other great, great person has committed some crime. And it's just, God's just like taking everybody down. This is your worship. This person's an abuser. This person's a murderer. This person's a liar. This person's a slanderer. This person, boom, 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 boom. Everybody's getting taken down. And what we tend to do is just go, okay, well, who's the next person? <laughs> What's the next movie? Thor 17, let's go. You know, it's, uh, that's what we tend to do. And ultimately what we're doing is we're saying that the most important person in the world that deserves the most worship is actually wearing my shoes right now. That's the big message in the West. You know who God is? You are. You're the one worthy of worship. You're the one worthy of praise. You're the one worthy of having all of your will done all the time. You're the one. You need it. You deserve it. And you should believe in yourself. For Christians, the B word is a big word. We never use it lightly. The B word is not, it's the biggest word because who you believe in decides whether or not you go to heaven or hell. And when we hear that saying, you need to believe in yourself, you should be like, what? No, I'm a terrible sinner, actually. I'm not going to believe in myself at all. I'm the worst person ever. You didn't even believe in me. <laughs> it's just, no, 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 no. It's Jesus. It's pretty much Jesus. It's the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord because every good thing I do comes out of him anyways. And he forgives my sin when you tend to not want to do that. And he promised me eternal life. So I'm going to believe in him. It's subtle, but it's serious. So serious. So what's the alternative? Starting in verse 9. This is what the psalmist says. He says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Do you notice that he's repeating himself here a little bit? There's like two things that the psalmist thinks are, is really important for you to know about God if you're going to trust in him. There's two things. Anybody notice that? Anybody? Dusty knows it. Come on. Somebody say it out loud. Two things. Yes, he's a help and he's a shield. See, God, God doesn't just say trust in the Lord for no reason. There are tons of reasons to trust in the Lord. And the two big ones that Scripture points us to here both come from the fact that God is a doer. He's able to do. He's not just a dust collector who wrote a book telling us how to live and then disappeared. He is the doing God who rules from heaven. And the two things that the psalmist wants Israel and the house of Aaron and everybody who comes to fear the Lord to know about him is that he is a help and he is their shield. That first word help really needs some unpacking because it can sound kind of lame. Well, thanks for being such a help, dear. It's really great how you cleared those dishes after the turkey dinner. That's help. The English word help can feel a little two-dimensional, a little anemic, a little not great. But for the Hebrew people, they would have known that, that this word ezer, helper, is humongous. Okay, and so I'll just demonstrate this from one story. If you go all the way back to Genesis, all the way back in your mind, you're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates the entire universe and the 
pinnacle of his creation is human beings made in his image, man and woman together, the image of God, both as individuals and in their unity together, imaging God. And he gives them this job. He says, I want you to increase and multiply and have dominion and fill the entire earth. So this is their mission. Be like God and go everywhere. Make the entire planet look like me, image me, fill the world full of my glory by being like me and going everywhere. That's the mission. And then we get another perspective on the creation story, starting in chapter 2, where God has started making humanity starting with Adam. Do you remember this? And he gives them a commission and he puts them in the garden. Um, But there's a problem. Adam's by himself. And God says this is not good. Now, what's the big problem? The problem isn't that Adam's going to only be eating pizza pops and peanut butter sandwiches because he doesn't know how to cook. And it's not like the, the toilet in the Garden of Eden will never get flushed because it's just Adam there. The, the issue of Adam being by himself is not that he's just going to be lonely. The problem is that he's supposed to fill the world with people. Okay, biology lesson. Can Adam by himself fill the world full of people? No. He can't even get started. It's, it's just never going to happen. Like never. And so God says, this is not good. I'm going to make for him a helper, helper suitable for him. That's the same word, Ezer. And so helper doesn't just mean he's going to, she's, Eve's going to come along and pick up Adam's socks after him. Helping. It means without Eve, this whole project is sunk. Right? Without Eve, the whole point of creation is wasted. Making all the animals, making all the plants with seeds, making the dry land. Without Eve, it's wasted. It's it's sunk. It's over. It's gone. The point is ruined. It's failed. Failed, failed, failed. Without Eve, creation failed. And God says, I'm going to fix this by providing a helper. So an Ezer is that person that if they're not there, everything's a failure. But if they're there, it's a success. That's what a a helper is. And so it shows up later in the scripture where God shows up in battle and Israel's like got one sword and a butter knife and a broken bone somewhere. And then God shows up and their enemies are all defeated. And they turn around and say, let's call this place Ebenezer because this stone will remember, remind us that God was our helper. This is the deal. When God says, I'm your help, it means I am going to be that person for you that if I do not show up, your life is a failure, but I am going to show up and I'm going to accomplish my purposes through you. I'm going to take you from failure to success, from death to life, from nothing to everything. That's what a helper does biblically. And so when you're talking about the Lord, when it says, trust in the Lord, he is your helper. What the scripture is saying, trust in the Lord. He is that person who will come to you when all else lost and everything's a failure and you have no hope. And he will be exactly who you need in order for you to accomplish God's purpose in your life, to take you from nothing to everything, from failure to success, from death to life. That's what the helper means. Help doesn't just mean a little bit more comfort in my already stable existence. It means God is going to make the difference. And we need a helper like this because the way God runs people's lives is that we repeatedly come to situations where if someone does not show up and change things, we're going to lose it. Like for instance, for the first time since I've been at Calvary Chapel, we're really far behind in the finances. Amen? And it could look like maybe we shouldn't do this whole moving thing because that's going to be expensive too. And it could look like, man, if God does not show up and provide for us, we shouldn't do this. And so it could be that 
we're in a situation where if we don't trust that God is our helper, that this thing is lost unless he proves that he is the God that actually does things in human history, we're sunk. And God looks at that situation and says, that's where I want to be. With people who trust me to be their helper. Because that makes a great story. And God cares about stories. Do you remember when Joseph was called to go down to Egypt to help with the famine? Did God just send Joseph this, this, a bunch of Egyptians who were carrying this couch? And they just said, can you hop on and lead us in a little while? It's going to be a famine. And Joseph just, he just sat on the couch as they carried him down to Egypt. And Princess Leia was peeling him grapes or whatever. And it just it was just, oh, so, oh, the, the calling of God, so easy, so nice, so comfortable. No. First, he's enslaved. And then he's wrongfully accused of uh, sexual assault. That does happen sometimes. And then he ends up in prison. And then that's when God shows up to be his Ezer and gets him out of prison and exalts him to be the prime minister. Because that's a way better story. Do you remember when the Israelites were leaving Egypt after the ten plagues and they're walking out and they just had this nice quiet stroll all the way into the promised land? Do you remember that story? There was just, there was like, I think they saw a deer. Somebody ate something that was a little rancid and, and... had had to stop at the gas station for a bit but or was the reality that after the, the israelites had left and were marching out of egypt god hardened pharaoh's heart one more time to send him out to try and capture them so that he had to take them through the red sea as on dry land and then make the red sea fall back on top of pharaoh dramatically destroying their enemy right in front of them Which one's a better story? Yeah, the one where God had to be their helper. The one where God had to be an Ezra. The one where they're standing around going, if God doesn't do something, we're all dead. God loves stories like that. We don't like stories like that. We don't like to be in stories like that. We like to read the stories. We don't like to be in the stories. We don't want to be in that place where we actually really need to trust the Lord to be the helper he wants to be. We hate it. You get to that place, I do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, you're a nut job, Rob. No, but like, this is my, my existence. You get to that place where it's like, if God, if you don't show up, it's all over. And I'm so angry because I don't trust you. And God's say, speaking to us, Psalm 115, saying, stop and trust and watch the God of heaven who acts in human history. He will be your helper and your shield. So when you need, he's the helper. And when you're in danger, he's the shield. He acts. He actually acts. He wants to change human history on behalf of those who trust him. Don't you want to be one of those who trusts the Lord? And trust is a big... can be tough. Amen? Can we just tell the truth? Trust can be tough. Sometimes all trust looks like is... God, I don't want to be here, but I'm not leaving. God, this hurts, but I, I'm going to try to still obey you. Sometimes that's all that trust looks like. Remember that story from the Gospels where that guy comes and, and his son is uh, epileptic and is demonized and keeps trying to, the demon keeps trying to throw the child into fire or water to kill him. And, and Jesus says, why don't you believe? Why don't you trust? And the guy says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Essentially, he's saying, I don't believe you. But I know I don't have anywhere else to go. Be my helper. 
And Jesus says, I can work with that free. So, so don't put the bar too high on you trusting God. Don't count out your trust. Whatever trust you can give God, just start there. He's a gracious helper, amen? Some of you right now, I can't trust. I just, there are people, they just trust, 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 trust. They all trust. They just sweat trust. They go outside and they just, the sunny outside and just trust just beads on their foreheads and make me sick. Don't count out your trust in God. Whatever you can do, if all you can do is, is lift up your eyes and your heart to Jesus, God will receive that. It's the faith, the size of the mustard seed, the faith you can hardly even see, that's all it takes. Amen? So the bad news about being in the second service is I feel way freer with the time. So let's talk about the fearing the Lord part. Verse 11, it says, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Because this is important, okay? It's important to learn when Scripture talks about what it means to fear the Lord, what it means. Because you can hear that saying, you who are afraid of God, trust in him, which seems like a bit of an oxymoron, like, so I'm supposed to be afraid of him and trust him. Hmm. Because usually being afraid of somebody means you don't trust them. So how does that work? I'm supposed to trust someone I can't trust. Someone trust, I'm supposed to not be afraid of fear. What? How does this work? So scripturally, this, this, this idea of fearing the Lord, someone who fears the Lord, it's a cake with a few ingredients. Uh, the first ingredient is that you believe that God has revealed himself, that he's, that he's spoken in Scripture and that he's talked to you through the Bible. That's the first ingredient. Do you believe that God has spoken? Then you can fear the Lord. And, and you say, God has communicated. We're not making this stuff up. I'm not an idolater. God speaks, I listen. I don't make up who God is. And the fear of the Lord also t- talks about a kind of loving loyalty to him. Man, God is amazing. I'm going to cling to him. But there is also an aspect of, of not wanting to mess around with the Lord. Okay, so one of the prime examples of somebody who learned to fear the Lord is from the book of Daniel. You might remember Nebuchadnezzar, um, one of the biggest names in the history of the world, like just lengthwise even. Um, that was a joke. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Anyhow, he, he thought he was a god. Okay? He really did worship himself. And so God sends him this dream warning him that an angel's going to come down and cut down a tree and, and they're going to leave the stump, but it, it's this warning dream. And he doesn't know what's going on, so Daniel shows up. And Daniel says to him, essentially, um, God has given to you rule over all the nations, so much so that you think you're awesome. Like, you think you're awesome. But God's going to come and he's going to judge you for your pride and he's going to make you go crazy but in mercy, he's going to give you your mind back and preserve the nation so that when you come back to your right senses, there'll still be something there for you. And so Daniel says to him, my advice for you is that you humble yourself. <laughs> Daniel, God's saying he's really going to judge you, so why don't you humble yourself? Nebuchadnezzar chooses not to. And he's walking around one day and he's looking at Babylon. He's saying, look at this great nation I've built. Okay, we were talking about making an idol out of yourself. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't lay any of those bricks. They just had slaves doing all that. Look at this great nation that I, Nebuchadnezzar, have made and my golden glove with all the jewels on it, blah, blah, blah. And then God makes him crazy and he goes about and he's 
eaten grass for years. And then in mercy, after a while, God restores to him his mind, and Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he's writing all these praise poems to the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, God, ruler of heaven and earth, who sits down who he wants to. And so what does this have to do with the fear of the Lord? Nebuchadnezzar was taught, uh, you don't mess with God. And if he comes to correct you, you respond because he's able to get your attention no matter who you think you are. And that's, that's the third ingredient. God has revealed himself. I'm going to be loyal to him, but I don't mess around with him because his grace and love are really serious and his warnings are really serious too. And there's something about real trust in the Lord that needs to know that God is holy and he doesn't get jerked around. Amen? Okay. So the psalmist calls us to trust in the Lord. And then he says in verse 12, The Lord has remembered us. That word remembered is another awesome word from Hebrew in the Bible. And it doesn't mean that God forgot before and, and is all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting around and you're like, Oh, the turkey's in the oven. I didn't set the timer. It's been in there for seven hours. And it's just like smoke and just ashes in there. Um, I had a good example of that the other day. I was trying to make Italian sausages for our spaghetti dinner. And I thought this would be really great on the barbecue. So I put it on the barbecue and it was doing great. I know you're shaking your head, but it was actually doing really good. Just a little bit flame kissed because there's a lot of fat in there, which means that the fire comes up. And I went and I looked and I just, and they were, they were just, just about just right. Just about just right. Just about just right. So I said, one more minute. So I went inside and I lost track of time a little bit and I went back out and just blackened. And I think what had happened is that one of them finally hit that event horizon where it exploded and all of them just got coated in fat and just burst into flames inside the barbecue. See, that's forgetting and then remembering from the human perspective. But God doesn't ever forget anything. He, all the details of all of human history are before his face at, at the same time. All of history, all of the future, all of the present, every molecule, where it's positioned, every atom, every electron, God is equally aware of everything in his creation at all time without any kind of limit. So when it says he remembers, it's not so much like he's brought something to mind because he forgot. It's he brings somebody to mind because it's now time to be their Ezer. It's now time to act. Now, every time you're called to trust the Lord, there is a time span between when you realize you're in trouble and when God is done saving you. There's always a gap. Okay? Want to grow in wisdom, Christian? There's always a time gap between when you realize you need help and when God has completed his helping process, there's always a time gap. And when God decides, now is the time to show my power, that is him remembering. Now I'm going to apply all the promises to you that I intend to. He will bless us. He'll bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. Is there a good consequence to people trusting in the Lord, according to this psalm? Does something good happen? Trust in the Lord, you'll be disappointed. Trust in the Lord, you'll be abandoned. Trust in the Lord, it will go terribly for you and your name will go down to, to the pit in infamy. Like, is that the promise? No, the promise is you trust in the Lord, you abandon your idols, you forsake yourself, you say, do this for your own glory, I'm trusting in you, God. And at the right time, in the right way, to fulfill God's purposes, he will turn in blessing to you. That's his promise. And ultimately, all of God's blessings will be given to us at Jesus' return. But even in this life. See, this, 
This psalm is about this life. How do I know that? Let's keep reading. Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth has, he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now these last few verses I found a little bit tricky to interpret, but this is what I think is going on. God, the, the psalmist has just made the case, God is God in heaven and he's ruling. And when we trust in him, he comes to us as a shield and a helper and ultimately br- brings blessing to us. So God is dwelling in heaven. He says, but the earth ha- he has given to the children of men. We have our part to play too. So he's saying God is in heaven and he's ruling. We trust him, but we have a part to play too. Then he says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord. What's going on there? Now, I don't think the scripture is saying that when you die, it's just a blackout until Christ returns and you get resurrected. I think what's going on there is he's saying from the human perspective, if you go to a, a graveyard, you don't hear the believers singing from the, their graves. You don't, you don't hear it. When someone's dead, they're gone to us. And what he's saying is, God's desire is for there to be a praise in this earth, and so that's our job. The dead have gone beyond us. They're not praising the Lord in this earth. If they're praising him in his presence in heaven, praise God, that's great. And they're blessed, but we're not a part of that yet. But we do have a job in this earth. And what's our job as people who praise, as, who trust the Lord? Our tra- job is to bless the Lord, to praise him. That's, what's the application of this message? Trust the Lord. How do I know I'm trusting him? Are you praising him? That's the application. What's the first thing that disappears when we aren't trusting God? Our praise. That's how, that's how you can tell. Are you praising him? Yeah. Then maybe, are you not trusting him? No, actually, I'm afraid. Actually, I'm frustrated. Actually, I'm angry. Actually, I feel abandoned. Actually, I'm worried. Okay. Well, then let's trust the Lord and get that praise back. You can tell if you're trusting the Lord because you're praising him. That's, that's how I understand how this ends. You can tell you're trusting the Lord because you want to praise him. And if the praise is gone, let's go back to the root. Who are you actually looking to for your security and for your defense instead of the Lord? Who did you look to and it let you down and now you're angry? Who did you look to and it let you down and now you run away? Who did you look to and it let you down and now you're despairing? Okay, let's stop, put our trust in the Lord again, and get back to the praise that God deserves in this life. Amen? So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. You know, I talked about fearing the Lord. I talked about idolatry. And the good news is that God is so gracious, he wants to save idolaters. And after talking about how bad it is, you can think, wow, God should be really angry. at." You know what? God actually wants to save sinners. And so many of you know this, but let, let me just say as a reminder, the biggest reason we have to trust the Lord is because he was willing to send his son Jesus to suffer and die for us. So that just by looking to him in trust, we get all the benefits of salvation. We get rescued, we get adopted, we get hope, both in this life and eternal life. And so if you need to hear that again, or for the first time, I really do want to call you just in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord.
Make him your God. Make him your trust. But why don't we stand and worship the Lord? We're going to sing together. And I just want to invite each one of us, if, you, if you're willing, just close your eyes. And why don't you picture Jesus the Lord? And if you just need to give your trust to him again, I encourage you to do that. If you need to know him as your helper, just give him that situation where you say, Jesus, I need you to show up here and help me to wait until you're done. But let's give our praise and our trust to the Lord.